Hey, kids, Miss Long's over there. She's ready to take you out to children's worship. Well, they keep coming. So we are up to, uh, in our uh, lectionary project uh, for the year, our 25th anniversary year, uh, we're um, uh, looking today at Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verses 29 uh, through uh, chapter 12, verse 2. Uh, that text is... Papa, get with the program. And so uh, <laughs> um, we, uh, today we're going to look at a, a, a well-known passage. Uh, we looked at the beginning of Hebrews 11 last week, and uh, we're going to look at the end of it uh, this week. It's in the bulletin, also up uh, on the screens behind me. This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient and because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect." Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's pray. Lord, we uh, confess to you that uh, uh, endurance uh, for the race before us sometimes is hard. Uh, many of us feel like we are at the end of our endurance. Um, some of us suffer in body and, and mind and spirit. Some of us uh, live with uh, trouble in our hearts and our lives. And so to endure uh, Another day, another year, another decade uh, uh, seems pretty, uh, well, pretty challenging to us. And yet here you say 
to run the race and to run it with endurance. Would you be our endurance as we think today uh, about the saints of old? Uh, We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, So when um, my uh, middle son was uh, in middle school and high school, he uh, he ran a lot. He was a pretty good runner, Uh, terrible student, Uh, but a good runner. Uh, In fact, uh, now today, uh, uh, his uh, commanding officer tells him that, man, you're really good in the field, but your written reports read like a third graders. So that's how I know it's him. <laughs> uh, we weren't uh, real sure when he graduated from college if he really could read or not. Uh, but um, So I would buy him books on running. And uh, there were a couple of books that came out many years ago by a guy named John L. Parker, Jr., uh, about a guy who's a, a, a collegiate runner. His first book was about him as a collegiate runner who makes the Olympic team, runs in the Olympics, and as I remember, it's been years since I read it, finishes fourth in, in his event. Finishes fourth. You get a certificate. So um, <laughs> uh, he quits running after that, becomes a uh, becomes an attorney in Florida, uh, and is living the good life. Uh, his best friend, the guy that he ran with in college, uh, is drafted, goes to Vietnam, and is killed. And so he decides, uh, I, you know what? I'm not done with running. And so he doesn't think he's fast enough anymore to run like his kind of middle distance events. So he decides he's going to call up his old coach, drop his law practice, and uh, train for the marathon. And so he's going to run, uh, trying to train uh, to place in the top three of the uh, U.S. Olympic trials for the marathon. And so he trains, 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 trains. But it's really hard. It's very difficult. So the day of the race, he's running. And he's having a terrible time. And I think long about mile 16, 17, he is joined in the race with his friend, by his friend who was killed in Vietnam, who runs with him through the finish line. And if you've ever run a marathon, you know that that's not that crazy because you see things that aren't there, you hear things that aren't there, right? Um, in many ways, uh, the text we've read today uh, is exactly about that, that God uh, sets us on a course, we are running a race, and we are encouraged and are helped to endure the race by real people who lived real lives in time and in space, who God made promises to, who uh, uh, God worked in and through, who God challenged, who God uh, redeemed. And in, in, in those, we look to those people, right? We look at them because they point us to Jesus Christ. And that's 
that's really the, the whole point of this text about the, the, the cloud of witnesses and the, the, the names that are mentioned here. And if you know anything about Hebrews 11, it's a catalog of all these Old Testament saints, all these Old Testament believers who God did remarkable things through them. And, and they are there before us and we look to them, uh, in our own times of struggle and suffering because as you read, I mean, you know, there's quite a lot of suffering, uh, that these, uh, men and women went through. We look to them and we, we, they are helpful to us. They give us endurance because they point us to Jesus. They are witnesses, not to their own moral superiority, not to their own endurance, not to their own abilities, not to their, their own gifts, so to speak, but they are there for us because they point us to the one who's already completed the race for us. Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so as we as we look at this text today, it's important for us to do this because one of the things that's true of many of us, one of the things that's true for uh, particularly uh, uh, Christians like us in America is that we think until we believe there really wasn't any kind of gospel Christianity or until this church was begun, you know, there was no real gospel witness or no real work of Christ in the world. When in fact, God has been at work in the world, drawing a people to himself, uh, taking people who are sinners, taking people who are often failures and using them uh, to accomplish marvelous things for his kingdom and for the world, Right. And so as we look at that today, what, what, what the, the writer wants us to do is he wants us to, to see Jesus and see his work. And he wants us to do that through these people. So let's, let's look at the, um, put my notes up there, Brian, and let's, let's, let's uh, dive in here. And one of the things that I thought about this is, as, as the writer to the here writes, he's talking about remembering these people who lived before us. And so think about that for a second about your own life. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? What do you want, what do you want your great grandchildren to know about you? Right? What do you, what do you want to be true about you that, that, uh, marks you off as somebody that, uh, uh that people, uh, are encouraged, are, uh, instructed, and are given a sense of endurance, right? Because we read these names of these people and it's like, it's like an honor roll, right? It's like the, the, the hall of fame here for, uh, for the faithful. And so we think, wow, I wish, wonder if that could be true of me, right? Well, we're going to, we're going to unpack that a little bit, but you know, as you come at this, that the point of this passage is what he says there towards the end, uh, that we are to lay aside every weight and sin to run with endurance the race that is life. And we do this by looking to Jesus as the founder of our faith. We consider Jesus by looking at his people. So in other words, we want to see Jesus and we learn about him. We, we are impressed to follow hard after him, to endure the suffering and the difficulty of this life because we see Jesus and how he was faithful and how he worked uh, in uh, people and through people in ages past. And particularly in people who endured conflict, and suffering. And so this cloud of witnesses that we have around us, uh, that are, uh, that have gone before us, uh, their ministry, uh, 
is still active and alive in the world, even though they've been dead for, in some cases, millennia. But they're still ministering to us. They, they still have a very powerful uh, effect and a very powerful thing uh, to say to us. John looks at the crowd of saints there at uh, uh, in Revelation, and he says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord forevermore. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. The work, the faithful work that God did in these people's lives is ministering to me and to you and to all the saints around the world today, even now. And so it's a, it's a, it's a pretty a profound thing for us, uh, to, to, to think about and to think about what will our legacy be? How will we be remembered? Now, one of the things when I say that to you, you know, I could see on some of your faces, you get energized by that, that you're like, you know, my kids are, and my grandkids are going to remember what an awesome guy I was. And then some of you had very pained expressions on your faces because you're like, I don't know what they're going to remember about me. Hope it's good, right? Hope it's, uh, hope it's encouraging. So let's look a little bit more at these, uh, uh, uh the, the list here, Brian. Next, next slide. So what is it about these people that are listed here in this text that we should emulate? Um, what is it about them that we should say, you know, I want to be like these people? Now, there's a tendency for us to read particularly the Old Testament and, and to, and to look at history and to look at people and to say, you know, uh, that there's some kind of moral superiority or some sort of moral, um, uh, uh, well-doing that they did that we need to mimic. And there's some, some value in that, except that's not what this text is about. That's not what uh, he wants us uh, to see when, when we look at these people, right? Uh, because what he wants us to see and what he wants us to, to uh, appreciate about this is how these people that he lists here followed hard after Christ, endured to the end, finished their race. Because God enabled them to do that. Not because they were particularly good people, as we see, Right? I mean, we read here about the people who crossed the Red Sea and we, we, we think, you know, that is, that's, that, that, that's a great thing. But how many of those people who crossed the Red Sea made it to the promised land? Well, there's Joshua. There's Caleb. Let's think. <laughs> right? Right? So they, they were believing God there at the Red Sea. I guess they didn't have any choice, you know, it was either, yeah. But uh, so their faith kind of waxed and waned. Uh, he really wants to get your attention. He doesn't just say Rahab. He says Rahab the prostitute, you know, who's also in the uh, genealogy of our Lord, of Jesus Christ, right? That kind of grabs you right off the, the bat as you as you think about that. Gideon, you know, we... We, we used to sing this song when I was a kid, God, uh, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Uh, but you know, when we, when you're introduced to Gideon in the book of Judges, he's hiding from the Midianites. And there's this crazy story near the end of his life where he sets up a, fa- a fake God and a fake tabernacle and all this stuff. So he had a, he had it rough. Barak, um, is very timid. And uh, uh, a, a quite a weak general, and without Deborah to stir him up, he he probably would have failed. Samson, 
big appetite, big hair. Um, right? We, we know, we know about him. Jephthah, he's the one who said that if God would give him victory, uh, over his enemies, that he would sacrifice the first thing that came out of the gate in front of his house. And that was his daughter. David, uh, a man after God's own heart and also after Bathsheba's. And Samuel, you may think, well, there's, you know, there's, you may be racking your brain to try to figure out, you know, was Samuel seemed like he was a good guy, that there's nothing really, no real failures in his life, except when you, you read the text closely, you see that his sons uh, were uh, not faithful and um, were, uh, yeah, they were a mess. So as we look at this, then we, we have to say, well, what is it about these people? Is it we, what we want to do is we want to remember their good days <laughs> and we want to emulate their good days and we want to forget about their bad days. Well, I think you could do that. You could look at it that way, but I think a better way to look at it and what the text I think is actually getting at here is that there's something about them that we emulate and what it is about them that we emulate is the fact that they repented, that these people turned uh, away from sin and self and entrusted themselves. They took God at his word and they, uh, they trusted him. As the text says, they cast off, put away those things that were encumbering them, that were keeping them from running the race. God enabled them to do that. He gave them faith. He gave them repentance. They cast that off in their pursuit of him, right? Well, that's what these people ultimately did. It's not because they were great leaders. It's not because they were gifted. It's not because they were smart. It's because God used these people to do what he wanted to do. Next slide. And you see, these people, uh, the, as we read there, lived, most of them lived very hard lives, very difficult. They were, They suffered. They struggled. Most of us have never had to suffer anything for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Some of you have, but the vast majority of us have never really had to suffer because of the gospel, because of the, the truth of Christ uh, uh, in us. But these people, the people that are receiving this letter, who are, who are hearing this from the writer for the first time, this is what he says to them right before he, he gets to chapter 11 at the end of chapter 10. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, that is when they came to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Wow. Just because they identified themselves as Christians and they identified themselves with with people who uh, were Christians, they lost their property. Many of them were jailed, right? So therefore now do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And that's why he says here at the very end, that's at the end of chapter 10, at the beginning of chapter 12, then he says, we need to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race 
that is set before us. Now, when I say that, when I, we use language like race, I know uh, in, among our congregation here, when we talk about running a race, we want to know who wins. And you may be looking around and thinking, yeah, I'm going to run the race. And you see that guy over there, I'm going to beat him. I'm going to be better. I'm, I'm going to be better than him. He's kind of lame. He's, he's not, he's not a very effective runner. So I'm going to be better than him. Well, here's the thing. You can't win the race because Jesus already won it. He got to the finish line first. So, so the point is not to win the race. Pressure's off. You don't have to win. All you have to do is finish. All you have to do is finish. Get to the finish line. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Finish. Endurance. Get to the finish line. Um, because running was such a, a big part of our family, um, you know, it, uh, it, was a, it was very challenging to be in a family with uh, somebody who won virtually every race he ever ran in. I think his senior year in high school, I think he only finished second or third twice out of all the races he ran. And then he, uh, at least the ones around town and, uh, you know, that's great for him. This is hard on the rest of us. (laughs) And uh, there were some folks in our family who thought, you know, well, if he can run, I can run. And I'm going to do it. And so um, when you run a 400-meter race and you finish at the end and cheering them on and they said, you know, I I didn't really run for a time. I ran to finish. And I'm like, well, it was 400 meters. One lap around the track. That's the wrong thing to say. (laughs) It's still the wrong thing to say. So, uh, yeah, I was just glad she was running. And so it was, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, we get caught up in the performance. We get caught up in, you know, kind of how we look and how uh, this is, is, you know, we, that we want to be super achievers. When the fact of the matter is all the, that Jesus is doing here, all that he is calling on us is, is just to finish. The point is not to win. The point is to finish. And, and, and to finish not in your own strength and not in your own ability, but to finish in such a way that what drives you to the finish line, what gives you the endurance, what helps you to follow hard after this one who has won the race is the reality of what he has done for you, is to, is to, is to, to look at him as the author and the perfecter and the finisher of our faith, the one who has run the race for us, who has completed it, who is preparing for us now even a place in glory, who is giving to us a place of joy uh, eternally uh, as we run this race, as we take one step after another following him. And that is that is what moves us forward. Because if we just trust our own resources or we just rely upon ourselves, then the fact of the matter is we'll get the fruit of that. And the fruit of that will not be endurance. The fruit of that will be discouragement. The fruit of that will be fatigue, spiritual and physical fatigue. And the fruit of that, when times get hard and times get challenging, will be that our view of Jesus becomes obscured and we can't consider him because we can't see him. 
because we can't see him because all we can see is ourselves. You know, uh, we we sing a number of these Fanny Crosby hymns. Um, and one of the things that I think was true of her was she was blind. And so when you look at those hymns, it's always profound to look at them to see the images of sight and seeing and watching and looking at Jesus, right? Uh, that that was her heart's desire, and that is what that is what moved her, right? So the same thing is true for us, right? Sure, there's effort here, uh, but unless God gives you the strength and gives you the faith, gives you the endurance, unless you see Jesus there at the finish line, and you see him through the people who he has uh, placed before you, um, endurance will be hard to come by. And so we can finish because the ultimate source of endurance is Jesus, who endured the cross, who bore the shame, and who is now highly exalted for us. And he leaves us with witnesses in abundance. Look around. Even as I talk to you today about uh, the cloud of witnesses, you probably have people in your heart and mind that you've known or people that you've read about or or people that you've seen or whatever who have served in a way as a witness to you, to point you uh, to the one who finished and won the race for you. One of the big drawbacks of this uh, location, of this congregation, one of the big drawbacks of our building and our property here is and of many modern church buildings is we don't have a cemetery. You know, and I don't mean that so it would be convenient for you when you die that you could be buried here on, on the church grounds. But I think what a dynamic that is, right, to walk to walk into church every day and to see uh, the graves of the saints who lived and died before you to remember that, to remember their testimony, to remember how God used them, to remember their sin, to remember their repentance, uh, to remember God's grace in their lives, right? Uh, It would be a tangible reminder to us, right? Every time we walked into uh, the building that we we could see that. And so wherever we look, and as the writer here tells us, we are surrounded by witnesses. There are people in our lives, people that we know about, people that we read about who say to us, consider Jesus, keep looking at him, keep enduring. He will see you through to the end. Next slide. So, um, and because Jesus bore our shame, we not, we need not be ashamed of our ancestors in the faith, right? We, we can, uh, uh, be bold in seeing and talking about the sin and the failures of the people who went before us. We can be bold about, uh, of, of remembering David's sin or Moses' sin or Abraham's sin. And in every place, what that does for us is it helps us to see how perfection is not the goal. Winning is not the goal, but the goal is to see and to shed this sin by God's grace, by his mercy, through his spirit, to repent and to keep on repenting so that he will give us what we need to see our lives through to the end. Um, I, in a few weeks, I'll turn 60. And I used to think that was really old. And now, you know, people will say that 60 is like middle age, but it can't be, 
because I'm not in the middle of anything. I'm not going to live to 120. So, so I don't, I, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, right? I think, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so as, as I think about that, one of the things I've thought about that is like, well, what does that look like? You know, what does it look like to, to finish well? Uh, because I have a lot of friends who are my age and a little bit older who aren't. And that's, that's, that's bumming me out a little bit that they're not, right? Not a little bit, a lot. And so what would that look like? Well, I think what it looks like is crying out uh, to uh, Jesus in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties of, of a body, as, uh, as, the, uh, uh, as Paul says, the tent that is kind of uh, wearing away, dying away. Uh, it means, you know, seeking his grace and mercy to continue to repent and to turn away from the sin that's been clinging to me for almost 60 years. Right? And so we, we need this word to us to remind us that, you know, there is a goal in mind and that the work that Christ is doing in and through us is moving towards a goal and moving towards an end. And then lastly, the hardest life in Christ ends in eternal joy. You know, one of the things that I think is, is challenging for many of us is uh, that our uh, dreams of our lives, our goals for our lives, or for certainly for people that we know and love, uh, sometimes uh, get tattered and get ruined. And it's hard for us to see what the point is or hard for us to, to find encouragement when, when uh, uh, lives are cut short or uh, ambitions are cut short or uh, when we find ourselves hobbled literally by, by physical pain, by mental, emotional, spiritual pain. And so we're not able to do and to be and to achieve in the way that we think is the appropriate thing for us. Well, here's the great news in that, is that because Jesus uh, bore the shame, because Jesus goes to prepare a better place for us, the hardest life in this life, the hardest life that any believer in Christ will experience in this life ends in eternal joy. So our prayer and our struggles and our sicknesses and our addictions and our failures and all of that should be, Lord, give me endurance. Help me to endure. Help me to get to the finish line. Get me to the finish line. Carry me to the finish line. I I love to follow uh races, road races, and running. And there was a story recently of two uh, women in Great Britain who were, uh, well, they're world-class triathletes. And they ran across the finish line of a race, I guess in the last week or two, holding hands. And they were disqualified. Those Brits, right? Rule followers, right? It doesn't work that way for us, praise God. I don't need somebody to hold my hand to get me across the finish line. I need somebody to carry me. Jesus is that. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve. 
And they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's use this confession of sin uh, in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Father of glory, our hearts cannot be hidden from your sight. Our blind self-pity, self-serving, and self-justifying are laid bare before your eyes. Have mercy upon us, most merciful God. Grant us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Christ so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which Jesus calls us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Believer, hear the good news. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. So we have an opportunity now to come and eat this bread and drink this cup. Um, one of the, if you've, there are a number of you who are here this morning who have trained and run marathons successfully. And one of the things that you know about that is that a big part of the training, in fact, maybe the biggest part of the training is not so much your legs and your heart and your lungs, although you got to get them into shape, uh, but you have to train your gut. <laughs> yeah, that sounds weird, doesn't it? What that mean? What I mean by that is 26.2 miles exhausts all the energy you have stored in your body by far. And so you have to train yourself to be able to eat and drink while you're running and have your body absorb that hydration and absorb those calories to give your muscles what they need to finish the race. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a big, for me, it was always challenging because nothing ever tasted good. Uh, and, um, it was just, it was just hard, really hard. Jesus gives you this bread and this cup to train you, to give you the nourishment you need to endure to the end. Not that there's any magic in this or not that there's any kind of 
you know, any, any kind of weird stuff going on here that's suddenly going to give you a dose of energy. What it is simply a reminder to you of the one who is the perfecter and the finisher of your faith, the one who bore your shame on the cross, the one who finished the race, the one who endured to the end, the one who will give you what you need as, and, and what you need as himself till you finish the race. It's a great uh, uh, picture for us this morning. It's a great opportunity for us to take in this spiritual nourishment so that uh, in the midst of our pain and our sorrow, our struggles, our fatigue, we can remember, we can taste and know the glory of the finish. And that will energize us to take another step and to take another breath. If that's your hope today and you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you know you're not going to make it without him and that he must be your endurance, he must see you through to the end, you profess that to a body of believers somewhere, he stands here with us today and he gives you of himself to strengthen and to encourage you. But not only that, we are surrounded today by a cloud of witnesses. We are in communion with our Lord, absolutely. But as the hymn says, we are in mystic, sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Those saints who've gone before us, we are in union with them and communion with them as well as they bear witness to us of a life and a race well run. It's good news for us today. So I, I, if, you've, if you have professed that to a body of believers somewhere, Jesus is your only hope. He's your only energy to endure. Even if you feel like today you're failing and you can't take another step, get up out of your chair, come down here to the front and have your soul renewed, have your spirit energized by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. As the elders uh, and deacons come down front to assist me, let me uh, remind you that uh, the outer ring is wine, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread is bread that is gluten-free.